Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Stuart McNish, coming to you from the studios at Oh Boy Productions, specialist in the development of shows like this one. This week, we take a look at the impact of high real estate values on businesses. Both Surrey and Vancouver have business improvement associations that closely monitor the many exigent elements that affect the businesses they represent. Everything from the creation and beautification of public spaces to transit, garbage management, and of course, the costs of doing business. And let's face it, the biggest costs are associated with real estate. When the cost of real estate goes up, it hits businesses hard. Mortgage costs, rental costs, taxes all go up. Staff need a raise to pay for their increased cost of housing. We asked Elizabeth Modell of the Downtown Surrey Business Improvement Association and Charles Goche of the Downtown Vancouver Business Association to join us for a discussion on the impact of soaring real estate and what can be done to mitigate those challenges. Joining me now is Charles Goche of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. Charles, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me here on Housing Matters. You know, when we take a look at the high cost of real estate, most of the news has been focused on what it does as far as residential pricing. But there's a couple of ways in which that affects businesses, especially downtown businesses, where the value of that real estate is incredibly high. What are your members telling you about what the cost of real estate is doing to them, how it's affecting them and their ability to do their business? Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, for all our business members, regardless if they're retail or uh, that are in the professional services is that, uh, you know, the labor shortages and what they're experiencing and how to recruit people uh, to come and work in our city just because of the high cost of living. And that translates, obviously, in the cost of, uh, you know, someone being able to live in the city, pay their rent, et cetera, uh, or maybe potentially uh, having lived further away from the downtown core and uh, having increased commuting times uh, than they would otherwise in other cities. So uh, labor shortages is a big one. Um, and is that across all sectors then? Yes. Is it just like it's universal? That's yes. one of the costs. Yeah, so that's coming up more frequently in our conversations with our members, and it's also coming out in the surveys that we're doing of our membership. So uh, labor shortages uh, and more challenges in terms of being able to recruit people uh, to come and work in our city. And if you don't have people, well, then you can't deliver the products and services that your clients require. 
Yeah, or the flip side, and we've experienced this uh, as a not-for-profit association, is that uh, you know you're trying to retain the people that you have, and so there's a, a, a an increase in what your salary costs are uh, as an employer. Uh, so you know it's it's just this uh, vicious circle uh, that we've created in our city in terms of being able to recruit talent to come and work here. Wow. And so then what's that doing as far as their ability to um, generate new revenue? Because they then have to turn that around and charge it out to customers or clients. Yeah. And I think, again, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not the expert on this, but at some point, you know, we're all consumers and uh, we shop through a variety of ways. And online shopping has become increasingly popular over the course of the last decade or so. Uh, so there's only so much room that you're going to be able to pass those costs on, you know, to consumers because we're all pretty savvy and we're all doing our research beforehand and we're all looking for a bargain. So I, I, I think how it's impacting, especially retailers, is that their their margins are are not that great, uh, and it's becoming challenging uh, to be able to operate a business in the city. Uh, especially when we look at you know the increase in property taxes, as an example, and then we've seen. Uh, you know, new new charges being brought down or new taxes being brought down uh, by the NDP government in regards to the uh, employer uh, health tax. So there's all these um, additional burdens being placed on small business and making making it extremely challenging for them to be able to operate in our city. Have you lost members as a result of this that you can directly point your finger and saying those businesses are closing for that very reason? Well, in, we tend to do some ex exit surveys with some of our business members, and uh, it typically can uh, be a variety of things uh, that have caused uh, you know, them to close their business, or in some cases, um, you know, just uh, uh, reducing hours of service, uh, reducing the amount of, of employees that they have on staff, just so they're going to be able to be able to pay themselves, you know, as someone who's an entrepreneur uh, in the city. Have you ever seen it this tough to run a business in the downtown core of Vancouver? Uh, not to the extent that it's been over the course of my 27 years here. Uh, you know, what we're seeing is the loss of, uh, and, you know, we see that in the media, it's the loss of the independent retailer and uh, the ones that are going to be able to afford to have a business here and operate a business here are going to be the chain businesses and not to knock them, but I think what it does is it, steals that uh, individuality and that unique character that, uh, you know, we want to see when we go visit other cities or in the city that we live. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we need to have variety and we need to be able to support uh, locally independent businesses. Well, Andre Pavlov pointed out that you can go to some of those chain stores here in Vancouver, and yes, they can weather that because they've got the resources to do so. But even still, he says... If you do some comparison shopping, you can go into a chain store and buy a T-shirt here, and you'll discover that you're paying more than you would for the same T-shirt in New York or San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Like, our prices are now becoming out of touch with our ability to buy the things that we need and want. Yeah, and that's to my point that I made just a few minutes ago, that uh, we're all savvy consumers, and uh, we're going to do some research in advance before we go and buy a, buy online or maybe potentially go into a store and, and buy it uh, in person. So that's why I think, uh, I don't think this spells the necessarily the death of retail, but I think what it means is it's going to become more and more challenging for retailers to survive 
when they're facing all these challenges that are out there. So one thing that I think a number of people who don't operate a, a business and they don't understand what the relationship between landlord and tenant is in commercial or retail uh, renting, they go, okay, so the value goes up, so the property taxes go up, big deal. But it is a big deal for businesses, isn't it? Can you explain what that relationship is between the tenant, the landlord, and what the tax rate that the city in particular is now charging? Well, so if uh, a landlord will pass all cost on to the tenants and, and, you know, for operating cost of a building, uh, for maintenance of a building uh, and property taxes uh, for a building. And so those all get uh, passed on to the tenants. So if it's a, a building that has two tenants, then those two tenants will pay the full freight of what they yeah, agree to. Yeah, not the landlord. Not the landlord. Yeah. And they'll sign the lease to that effect. Uh, if there's 100 tenants uh, in a high-story office building, then obviously those costs are passed on to a much larger group. And, uh, you know, the pain is not to the same extent that it would be in the example I just provided with two tenants in a building. Mm -hmm. So uh, where it actually becomes even more problematic is in those areas of our city that are under redevelopment pressures. And BC Assessment has determined that the highest and best use for that particular building is residential, uh, prime for redevelopment, and it gets assessed at that rate, but taxed at the commercial rate. And so the landlord, uh, in theory, will pass on the cost to the tenant. Uh, we for the hear, highest and best use. Yeah, so yeah. residential. Even though that may not be the reality on the ground. Correct, and yeah. it could also be the air rates. Um, so what the potential is for that particular uh, land uh, in question. We do hear stories, though, where landlords, especially if it's uh, a Vancouver family-owned business, uh, they will not necessarily pass all the costs on to the tenants as a landlord because they realize that that will potentially kill the tenant, uh, potentially have vacancy in their building, and they don't want to obviously be on the hook for everything. So there are arrangements that are made uh, by uh, between landlords and tenants to maybe cost share those increases uh, that have occurred. Uh, but I don't hear a lot of those examples being cited. No, I can't think of any of those that I've heard. Um, so the city of Vancouver seems to have recognized a little bit that this is an issue, and they've started to shift the tax burden. Is this a good sign, and is it anywhere near enough? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, having no tax shift taken place over the course of the last six years, so the last one was done in 2012, it was refreshing that uh, in a very slim majority vote, six to five, that council saw that uh, they needed to do something now rather than postponing uh, to wait until potentially some changes could occur in terms of dealing with that, that issue of the highest and best use situations mm -hmm. that are happening in some of our neighborhoods. So uh, it was a great initial first step, and we applaud council for approving that. Uh, it will provide uh, some temporary, albeit small, relief to all businesses within our city. And it can make a difference. Uh, often cited, it's a $500 saving on a building assessed at $1 million, a commercial building at $1 million. But we don't have $1 million commercial properties, at least in my district. They're in the millions of dollars. So you can multiply that by 10 or you can multiply it by 20. Mm -hmm. That can mean the difference between 
being able to survive and continue to operate your business or closing your business? Or alternatively, closing your business in Vancouver and moving somewhere else. And when that happens, when we see the loss of those businesses in Vancouver, what starts to happen to the core of our city? Well, what happens is that it becomes uh, pretty much the same as any other city you might go to where it's predominated by uh, chains. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and what's what makes downtown Vancouver different than uh, downtown San Diego or New York City? Uh, you know, I tend to, when I travel, look out for those unique experiences. I can go to a retail chain here and get the same experience as I would in another city. I'm looking for something new, interesting, and different, and trying to support local independent retailers mm-hmm. when I travel. And I try to do that at home as well. So I think that what it does is it, uh, it makes us boring. Uh, as a downtown. It, oh my gosh, <laughs> dull, driving, boring, and no fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I just don't think that it provides an experience for residents or an experience for tourists that they will talk about and maybe post on Facebook or Instagram or share with their friends and family. So uh, I think the other thing it does is that uh, if we start to lose too many businesses here that are providing uh, the basic services and goods that we're looking for as residents is that it means you're going to travel further to do some of your shopping and then that starts to downgrade the goals that we're trying to achieve as a greenest city and being sustainable and trying to reduce you know all the negative um, aspects that we associate with uh, you know people using their own private vehicles Uh, and then and then it eats up into your personal time if you're going to have to go and uh, go to a grocery store you know Mm-hmm. Five miles away versus having one, you know, within your own neighborhood. So I think it really starts to impact our experience that we have and uh, enjoying our city as we would want it to be. Right. So just to put you a little bit on the spot, because you've just come back from a conference, an international conference, other cities around the world are facing these same problems. What are some of the innovative approaches that you may have encountered on your travels across the Pacific to to Japan just recently that might be of value to consider here in Vancouver? Well, I went in with um, a particular mission on this trip, and it was just to learn more about what they're doing in terms of placemaking initiatives. Uh, I didn't think that cities like Tokyo and Osaka, which is where the conference was held in uh, during five days, um, but I was really, really surprised about what they're doing in terms of making their downtowns, their commercial districts, really interesting for office tenants and residents and visitors. Uh, so when we talk about placemaking, it's about things that we've done here mm-hmm. about... Uh, like alley-oop and, and things correct. of that nature? Yes, Our okay. laneway transformations yeah. that we've done. Uh, but it's also like what I would call small-scale interventions that are not very costly to do, like adding tables and chairs, but they do a lot of uh, lighting Uh, nighttime lighting of their projects as well, which really got me excited. And I think that we don't do enough of that in our city. So for example, um, they light some of their bridges. Uh, We do some in our city, but Mm -hmm. they do it quite a bit. And it just makes it an interesting city to navigate at night to have landmarks and then also to have, um, you know, different things pop up, surprises as a visitor when you're, you know, walking back to your hotel. So uh, their placemaking initiatives really got me uh, excited, and I, I shared a couple of ideas with some of my staff about how we can do things a little bit differently. Okay, let me in on one. <laughs> well, I think it's just, uh, as I just said, trying to find things that uh, don't look like they belong 
which kind of you do a double take and you go, wow, that's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. So in Osaka, I took a picture of um, this big, grind, uh, big giant green teddy bear uh, that was sitting in a pool in a plaza. And in a I, pool. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and it was about uh, probably about three meters high mm -hmm. in a seated position. And I just thought, you know, here's, uh, here's this really interesting piece of public art uh, that's sitting in this public pool uh, of this plaza, uh, which is surrounded by uh, a shopping center and, uh, and office towers and, and, and uh, uh, condos. And I just thought, you know, this is, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and so well, it's well, about... didn't you do something like that, especially when you brought in the, the Dali sculpture, Woman on Fire? Yeah. Um, that was something that well, the first time that I saw it, I went, wow, look at that. Is the intent there that if, if, if I can make coming into the city more attractive, I'll draw people in. And then I guess by extension, they're going to do business here too, which can help maybe offset some of those, those other higher costs. Yeah. And yeah, we've done uh, projects like that in collaboration with uh, an art gallery. And we've uh, actually unveiled two new sculptures uh, downtown this year in partnership with uh, a building owner and also with Easy Park at Lot 19. Where are they? So that people who are watching can say, well, I want to go down and check that out. Yeah. So we have one at the foot of Harnby Street between the two projects private clubs, the Terminal City Club yep. and the Vancouver Club, Lot 19, or the little park there. We've added uh, a sculpture there. Again, we're not the lead on this project. We sponsored it in part. And then we added one uh, with the support of the building owner at 745 uh, Thurlow Street at Thurlow and uh, Alberni. Oh, okay. And that's a new one this year. Uh, the goal would be over time, we would uh, add more and more sculptures within the downtown area. And I, I'm not trying to say that that's not interesting but uh the teddy bear example is that it, we could take it to a different level mm -hmm. um you know that would be unexpected to stumble upon something as you're walking along uh, a downtown street to see something that really looks weird and different mm -hmm. and i guess to come back to what our, our original topic is how do we combat the the high cost of real estate in Vancouver and ensure that these businesses can stay vibrant as to draw more customers and uh, traffic into the area. Yeah, part of our strategy as an, as an organization is that uh, by doing more placemaking initiatives like our laneways and public art and doing public seating and, and sponsoring festivals and events, uh, what that does is it does create uh, reasons for people who uh, don't typically visit downtown to come here and experience that. Uh, you know, people that come here to work have to come here to work. Mm -hmm. uh, we should make it interesting, interesting and enjoyable for them as well. Uh, that's our key mission. But how do we bring people in? Because they can shop, you know, in Burnaby or, or Metro Town or Surrey. They can shop in their own neighborhood. As we've seen over the course of the last two decades, you know, there's been an expansion of businesses, retail and goods and services uh, throughout Metro Vancouver. So what's going to be our competitive advantage uh, as a downtown organization and for downtown Vancouver is that we have to uh, create some new and interesting experiences for people that don't work here but live in Metro Vancouver to come and visit. When they go to the Orpheum Theatre, 
check out the laneway uh, in Acres Alley. Yeah. Or maybe you're also going to come down to watch a free performance of the Jazz Festival on the front plaza of the Vancouver Art Gallery, and then you're going to do some shopping uh, or maybe you're going to spend, make it a day mm -hmm. in the downtown area and also go to a restaurant that maybe you haven't experienced yet. And again, it's got to be a restaurant that you can't find in your own neighborhood, so that goes back to the idea of local, independently owned businesses mm -hmm. which are going to make it interesting for you to come here. Well, I'm glad you're on the case because I know you're always looking for innovative solutions to tough challenges, but it's going to take a coordinated effort between businesses, uh, the the association, and others who are trying to attract that, and of course City Hall because City Hall needs to recognize that the pressures on business affect them as well as 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 well as everyone else. Well, I think we've convinced. Uh, the, the slim majority of council that that 2% shift over three years uh, is critical and it sends a strong signal of support for small business. Mm -hmm. uh, we realize that it's not going to be the silver bullet to deal with the areas that are really under redevelopment pressures that are getting whacked by these absurd property taxes based on you know the highest and best use of that particular land and property. And we support the city to move forward and try to find a solution to that particular issue. And there is an intergovernmental body that's looking at uh, solving that uh, particular issue. But we couldn't wait another year. And this is a brand new council. And we really felt, as a number of business improvement associations and business groups that worked on this file, that we had really a unique opportunity uh, to get this 2% shift. We would have liked it. In this year, uh, they chose to do it over a three-year period, 1% mm -hmm. this year and then half a percent in the next two years. Uh, so we applaud them for, for taking that uh, first important step to helping small business. Well, that's great. Thanks for coming in and sharing that. Now, just before we go on to my next guest, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Realco, the company that has built Scott and Nicholson, which is a collection of contemporary one- and two-bedroom-plus-den homes at the heart and soul of North Delta. It merges the convenience of bike and walkability to shops, schools, and amenities with spectacular parks, trails, and golf courses nearby. It's a modern space, and it is your welcoming nest. To learn more about Scott and Nicholson, please visit realcoproperties.com forward slash Scott and Nicholson. Now to my next guest, Elizabeth Modell of the downtown Surrey BIA. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you very much. You represent businesses in the downtown Surrey area. Define for me exactly where that is, because when I think of Surrey, I go, huh? Like, where exactly is the downtown area? So we represent the BIA, the Business Improvement Association, yeah. and our jurisdiction is uh, from 112th, just past the hospital. So we take in 99 nurseries. Okay. And then we go from University Drive to Wally Boulevard with a slight strip up 104th to 140th. Mm -hmm. So those are the commercial uh, properties and the businesses, which we represent about 1,500 plus businesses in the area. So what is your mandate on behalf of those businesses? Our mandate is to build a, a brand new city within an existing downtown core, which uh, is challenging, mm -hmm. but it also is an exciting time as well. Well, it's not necessarily helped by the high price of real estate 
throughout the Lower Mainland. How does that exacerbate or compound the challenges of trying to build out this uh, business area that is your assigned to do? Yeah, that's a real challenge that everybody faces. I think it's not just a Surrey problem. It, it, well, I know yeah. it's not a Surrey, just a Surrey problem. It's a Metro Vancouver problem with the price of real estate taking off. Uh, unfortunately, from what we're seeing is some of those very unique businesses, mom and pop, as the developers come in, and which is a good thing, uh, some of the buildings really need, it's a teardown area mm -hmm. uh, to go, and they're very, very old. But some of those unique mom and pop businesses who paid $12 a square foot uh, can't exist because of the fact that uh, the higher rents and the, uh, the bonus density that comes in, and they just can't afford it anymore. Well, that, that is a double-edged sword. We lose one thing, but we gain another. That's right. What do we lose, and what do we gain? That's right. So from a loss standpoint, you know, it's, and I think everybody's struggling with this. It's the big business boxes that come in, mm -hmm. who've got the capital behind them, who've got that, uh, the people behind them, they've got the marketing machine behind them. The buying power. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's all that economic spinoff to make it work. However, what we really miss is that unique experience with the mom and pop shops um, that is focused on the community. And I think from my standpoint, the way I see it, I think there's a combination that can work with both uh, if there is a give and take on everybody's side, not only from the city side, but also from uh, the developer side, who's who's um, who's looking at doing a mixed-use project. Mm -hmm. How important is it that part of the focus beyond trying to create walkable? Uh, and easily visited, like, communities within the community so that, you know, you get people out of their car. Um, is that possible, or is that sort of an outdated vision of where we have to go when it comes to, to building out a business area? Absolutely not. I think that's probably one of the key points that you've, point, uh, you've brought out, is that you want to make places for people to be with other people. Mm -hmm. As human beings, we all love to interact with each other. We all like to um, be feel that we're part of the fabric, the part of society. And as you well know, um, with the affordability factor, the square footage is getting less and less and less. So the amenity space has to be built out more and more and more. So placemaking activities, parks, um, places for people to go and stay and feel like they're part of the community and an inclusive community and things for people to do as well. So that park spaces, the walkable spaces, I honestly think some of the best cities that are built in the world have taken this all into consideration. So how do you, as a business Improvement Association help to ensure that those, you know, town squares, those public places, get in, included in the planning and actually materialize. Part of our board is a lot of developers. So we have an economic development committee as well, 
and all of the developers that are building out in city center. And these things are talked about. What what spaces are for public amenity space? What what are you going to be putting aside from a public art uh, uh, standpoint? What are you going to be doing uh, with regard to um, your your space for place ma making activities? Mm -hmm. So those are all key things that we we talk to the developers about and and uh, give them food for thought. And as a business improvement association, part of our mandate is to do those place making activities. So we want spaces to be able to have pop up events uh, to, to to ensure that that community is vibrant, it's open, it provides a cultural experience, and it also provides a place for people to stay in place and, and enjoy their own downtown. So what do you have in the works? What can we look forward to? Well, what we're, we're, um, we have students that uh, we hire and we do pop-up events all summer long. So from May to August, uh, we do all sorts of things as in placemaking activities. We ha hire high school students or musicians to go out and sing and do performances. We have pop-up art projects. We have um, a love ball project, which we take out to the park. We do right. picnics. Uh, we do a long, long table event where everyone's uh, invited and there's Eventbrite tickets on sale now that uh, uh, we have two or three hundred people come out to this table and we have a five course dinner and showcasing best foods in British Columbia. So we do all sorts of events and, and I mean the list goes on and on and on but uh, we have a, a huge events team and, and that's part of what we do as a BIA. And do you have more public space development concepts in mind? You know when we take a look at downtown Vancouver they went and created Alley-oop and Acres Alley and, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Do you envision doing that same kind of thing in Surrey? And let's come back to how that helps to offset what the cost of developing uh, retail business is to your members. Uh, and maybe not just retail, not limited to that, because you have commercial member, commercial businesses that are, are part of your association as well. Right. So we have talked to some of the development community as I don't know if you know or not, but uh, the entire Canadian Tire site, uh, Save on Food site, was sold to Anthem Properties. Okay. So we sat down with Anthem. We said, what are you doing for public spaces? Here's what we can do with you in conjunction to make a more vibrant neighborhood for your retail business and for those people who have uh, planned to go in all the towers that's surrounding you. Mm -hmm. So it makes them think differently from a standpoint, well, maybe we could do a little bit more of this or we can do a little bit more of that than working with the city. Uh, we do presentations to mayor and council uh, to ensure that everything is taken into consideration from uh, from a city's build out and, and work with staff closely too if we feel that uh, um, there's something more that we need to do from uh, from a business standpoint to ensure that those businesses um, um, and mixed use projects go in because that's probably I would say those mixed use the commercial residential and uh, and and retail um, mm -hmm. are the most successful and that's what you see in in the real solid cities of the world so you don't have a vacuum in the downtown core so densification with residency becomes important then doesn't it's it? vital 
like without it, how do these businesses survive? That's exactly right. So they're not activated on weekends. Uh, people leave the downtown core, and it's only the nine to five or eight to four or eight to six, whatever you know hours are working, and then the downtown core is vacant. And many cities have experienced that. And and when buildings come down, they're starting to repurpose it and realizing that mixed use is is the key to to ensuring the success. So from from our standpoint, what's really has been an incredible boon to our downtown is the Century Group built the new autographed Marriott Hotel, the Civic Hotel in downtown Surrey. Mm -hmm. Beautiful hotel. And in there, uh, there's spaces for retail, which is coming. It's just been open a year. And also there's uh, a large tower, a 52-story uh, high-rise uh, with all residential. Huh. So in Vancouver, we've seen that council has started to listen to uh, the concerns of business saying, look at the onus that you're putting on us as far as taxation is concerned, because you tax at the best possible highest value or best possible use highest value um, is become onerous. Um, and they're asking that that tax burden be shifted. Do you have those same issues in Surrey? And if you do, how are you working with council to help address them? And that's a really good question. What's happening now is we're starting to see the tax go up for those small properties and commercial properties. And at this point in time, it is an area that's in transition. So they are being taxed. It's not as bad as Vancouver at this mm -hmm. point in time, but I see that there is a transition happening. And initially I was part of that uh, committee that started off in Vancouver, but it hasn't quite hit Surrey the same way. Mm -hmm. However, having said that, I did speak to some commercial properties in the city centre, as in the very, very core around City Hall, you see like a white spot on a very valuable piece of land. You can't make enough hamburgers to... Pay, even pay the taxes. That's I know. exactly yeah. right. So they're sitting on it, and I'm sure long-term they have plans for, for that site because there's their assessment must be incredible. I haven't touched basis with them on it. But equally, another property, just a block off where Anthem's developing, I've heard from her, her tax has gone up 27000 because of the fact that she can build much higher. So that begs a really good question. So is council uh, aware of this? Are they paying attention in Surrey? They are. They are very aware of it. Uh, my my point is on, on this is that there are businesses out there that will help them fight that tax bill. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're stating at this point in time is that, you know, do do repeal your taxes. There's, you know, if, if you're not there yet, you're not willing to sell, you have vacancy, um, you know, it's it's hard to collect money from a stone if it's dried up. So one of the things that we talked about is putting people on the street, uh, creating that sense of community. Uh, it looked to me at the time when Surrey was moving towards having streetcars rather than the extension of the uh, um, SkyTrain, uh, that that was going to contribute to that. From a transportation uh, people moving perspective, how do you now work with the, sh the, the changing shift from City Hall saying, no, 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 we want to extend SkyTrain, forget, forget the, uh, the, the trams uh, or streetcars, um, 
because was that not going to create some uh, help to create more of a sense of community, easier to get on, get off, go into the store, go down the a couple of blocks and buy whatever you want and go back to where your car may be parked? That's a very good question, Stu. A very good question. And does so, it put you in a bit of a tricky spot to answer it because you have to work with council, of course. That's right. But, you know, it was a prior administration to this administration. Uh, the BIA's perspective, and, and even though everyone had different ideas around our board, it was to always back the city as an institution. Mm -hmm. You have to respect the office of mayor and council. You right. might not always agree with them, but you respect them. And moving forward, we have to look to respecting the city as an institution and moving it forward. Mm -hmm. So the prior plan, getting back to your question yep. of LRT, was a city building project. And yes, intercity. Yep. And so developers fought and bought uh, based on the plan. Moving forward, that shifted when the new administration came in with less than 15% of the votes. And having said that, it's now a SkyTrain. Mm -hmm. And TransLink is working out the details of how far that will go. $50 million has been put in plus, plus, plus. Surrey residents will pay for that at some point in time. There mm -hmm. is no question that money right. has been lost. So we just have to move forward with a new plan and ensure that transit moves forward as a builder of the city. Yeah, because, you know, as I think about that, as I think about Surrey, I then think about some of the, the great sort of walking cities that I've been to. And at the moment, I don't think of Surrey in, in that light. And if what we're talking about is densifying and putting people on the street, because they, they are the business that will support those businesses that need to compete in a higher priced world. Like, how do we do that? Um, you know, how do we how do we bring that into Surrey? That's a great question. And Surrey is known for its huge blocks, like yes. long, long blocks. Las Vegas style long That's blocks. That's right. Yes. That's right. So the city center plan moving forward is to chunk that all down mm -hmm. and make smaller blocks more walk walkable. That's why the entire city center is changing a place and space in the face of downtown Surrey. So the developers coming in have to actually, and, and buying these huge chunks of property, such as the Century Group, Anthem, Bosa, they have to give up some of their space for streets and blocks to be broken up. To create that environment. That's okay. exactly right. That's right. my whole point, is that uh, there has to be give and take, both on the city's part as they plan a brand new downtown within an existing city. The developer who has to do some give and take on it and possibly might have to pay a little bit more but also get a little bit more bonus density. It's, it's because we're such a young city and we're, we're moving forward with rebuilding an entire area, everyone has to be a little bit more flexible and understanding that everything is, is changing mm -hmm. as we move forward and the whole concept of where, what Surrey is. And if you haven't been there f for a little while, I do suggest that you come out because when I started with the BIA 10 years ago, there was literally one high rise. And now right. it's unbelievable. So having said that, mm -hmm. right now, currently, there is under construction nine high rises. 
Approved is 16, and under application is 29. That's a dramatic change. 54 in total. Wow. Huge. And so your message to people about Surrey as a place to do business, despite rising real estate uh, costs, is? We're open for business. And in spite the fact, despite of the fact that we do have um, a real estate market that is going up, we are still more affordable than anywhere else in Metro Vancouver. Well, that's a great message to be able to put out, isn't it? Because competition for any business, being able to survive, uh, all these factors come into play. And there's no doubt that the price of real estate has had a, a significant impact. Huge. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming in and sharing this. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thank you ever so much, Elizabeth, and thank you for watching and for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, thevancouversun.com, theprovince.com, and on the Vancouver Sun's YouTube channel. And please be sure to subscribe because you won't want to miss an episode. As well, I want to acknowledge Arnold Chang, Greta Gibson, and Derek Hader, without whom this show would not be possible. What a great team. I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.